half time during service, get you a little break, get up, stretch a little bit, see some people you wanted to talk to, and uh, thanks for the initiative to connect with one another. That's actually what we're going to be talking about today. Um, any youth that are still in here, I really encourage you to go and be a part of student ministry next door, what's happening. And um, also with the kids' company thing, I think we're over 40 kids now for kids' company, which is great. And we're looking at um, needing some other sixth graders and some other neighbor kids. And this is one, not the final week you can jump in, but it really is a great week to jump in. I want us to pray, and we're going to dive into what God has for us today. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you. We need you even this hour. Lord, every breath we take, we acknowledge, comes from your hand. You created us. Your word says that in you we live and move and have our being. And so Jesus, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, of Nazareth, who died, who rose from the grave, who ascended to the heaven, who sent his spirit to be with us, Jesus We need your presence, for there's no other reason for us to gather in an act of worship unless you are truly the God who is. So, Lord, I thank you for us as a body being able to worship you. Lord, as we turn to your word, as we turn our spirits to hear from you, I pray you would dig out our ears. May we be able to set aside anything that's distracting us from this past week, maybe something that's happening today, may we focus on you and your words for us. And Lord, I pray that you would use me as your servant, um, only as your spirit can, and that you would guide and direct the exhortation at hand, because you have a heart that you want to impart to us today, in your name. Amen. Amen. What? Do you dream about? What do you dream about? I'm not saying what you do at night when you go to sleep. I want to know what you think about during the day. Your aspirations. Something that sort of calls you forward like, I, I would hope that that would come true. Maybe it's something you labor and toil for every day of your life. Maybe it's something that seems to be uh, fleeting and it's not somewhere that you can grab a hold of. But yet you dream about it. What do you dream about? I've got to give you time to answer it. You don't need to answer it out loud. I mean, it's question. I mean, dig a little bit deeper. Is it is it the aspiration of a successful kind of career that stands before you? Maybe you long to have a great family. Maybe you're young and you just long to find somebody you can date, so you could maybe get married, so you can maybe have a family someday. Maybe it's um, a certain season of life that you're really longing for, a season of retirement. Maybe maybe it's a season of a, a different place of employment. Maybe, maybe there's a cause that you would really like 
to participate in, to see something change in life, change in our culture, change in our world. What do you dream about? Now, whenever I sort of have this question posed to me, one of the people I think of, as you might think of, is Martin Luther King. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He had a dream. And that dream, in many ways, has been fulfilled from the time that Martin Luther lived before he was assassinated, and some really cool things evidenced by us having an African-American president for eight years. I have a dream. Now, we have a lot to go in that whole area, don't we, of racial reconciliation? But there was a dream in his heart, and he led from that dream. Is there something that consumes you that big, that pulls you forward, that your whole life is devoted and dedicated to that? Or are you just sort of existing from day to day, trying to make ends meet, trying to make sure everybody's not in some tissy or some type of fighting? God called you and I to have dreams, something that calls us forward. He put that in our heart. I don't know that my dog spends time during the day dreaming about some aspiration to be able, maybe does, I want to get rid of all the gophers in my backyard, my dog may say. I don't know. But the human individual has created the dream. And if you're not dreaming and if you're not being called forward, I think in many ways you're probably dying a little bit on the inside. Some of you have had dreams and they've been crushed. And you're saying, forget it. I'm not going to try it again. Some of you have done pretty good. You've been crushed and you get back up. You say, I'm going to take another whack at this. I'm not a quitter. Right? That's great. Well, here's a question I have concerning this. What do you think Jesus dreams about? Seriously. What do you think Jesus dreams about? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. It's going to frame the heart for um, continued discussion of actually what we um, focused on last week. Jesus, on the way to the cross had a lot of words that he needed to communicate to his disciples. John 14 through 17 is an incredible section of Scripture. But you get to John 17 and you have Jesus' prayer before he heads to the cross. And you read the prayer. And I I was reading back through it again um, this week for today. And I'm like, that's just... It's just not deep. It's mystical and it's beyond me to understand at some level. But in this, I see the heart of my Lord and Savior and we see the dream that Jesus might have. Here's what Jesus says in part. He says this. He says, I'm coming to you now, speaking to the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. As part of his dream. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So there, if you're having a hard time this week, being a follower of Jesus, Jesus knew that was going to be happening to you. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them, the followers of me, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even, even as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. So he's pouring his heart out to God. Verse 20 has your name in it. Verse 20 says this. Am I good there? Whoops. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Any hands can identify with that? Are you one of those people? There's your name. In Jesus' prayer, 2,000 years ago, he was thinking ahead. And he prayed for you in the prayer before he went to the cross. My prayer is not for them alone, referring to his disciples and those who are his followers. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message through all the years. And what does he pray? He prays that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, that's some of the deep mystical kind of words. What, what's in his longing in his heart? What's his dream? I have given them the glory that you gave me. He revealed it to them when he, God himself in the flesh, came and lived among us. That you may be one as we are one. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be bought, brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In the world, big world, cosmos, all that is, that exists, there is God. And God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not three gods. It's one God, but eternally existent in three persons. And God the Father relates to God the Son. The Holy Spirit brings communion between them, and the Holy Spirit then abides within us, and we have communion with God. There's this mystical aspect of community of three existing. And God's saying, Jesus saying, I stepped out of heaven, and I showed them your glory. And he starts talking about part of this glory is this mystical oneness, this unity, how the three persons in the Godhead, the Trinity, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are one. And they operate and they function together one. They defer to one another. Jesus did the will of the Father. The Spirit was supporting the purposes of Jesus on earth. And God the Father was receiving glory and providing for all creation through His Son and His Spirit. Oneness, unity. So Jesus, here he is. He knows what's ahead of him. And he prays. Not that we would have success monetarily. He prays not that we would have fame and popularity. He prays not that we, who are followers of him today, that he's gotten this little prayer. He prays not that we would have huge churches. He prays not that we would be able to knock it down with every kind of program anybody would ever want in the world at a church. What does he pray for? Unity. That we would be one. And if we're one in unity, loving and encouraging one another and loving God, 
then the world's going to know that Jesus was sent by God. Why? Because we're all, fall- <laughs> we're all fallen sinful people. We all have our own cranks and curses on us, right? And we can be a pain to get along with one another. And if we get along in this beautiful unity and harmony of love and encouragement and support, then, wow, that's a miracle. That's my dream come true. That they would be one even as we are one. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now you may say, well, that's that's a good point. What else you got today, Carrie? Oh, wait a second. We're not moving on, really, at this particular moment. Because we don't do a very good job of this. We live in a culture that presses us down the individualistic track. Individualism. I don't have time to kick back and do a lot of sociology today. But you and I live in a world that esteems personal success. Not necessarily group identity and unity. And the adversary, Satan, knows that, and so he challenges it. He continues to get us off in our own myopic dreams rather than the beautiful dream of Jesus, which is that we would function as a body together as one. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Last week, we said that we are a people of the way. And we looked in the book of Acts that there's, there's five or six different times in the book of Acts that the Christians aren't called Christians. They're called the people of the way. One of those is when the Apostle Paul, who had been persecuting the people of the way, stood before Felix the governor and he gave declaration, I admit in Acts 24.15 that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. And as a follower of the way, you and I must follow in the commands and the instructions of the Lord. Jesus says this prior to that end time prayer. The end of his day prayer before he went to the cross. John 13.34. Let's read this together. Ready? A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our witness to a world in need is directly dependent on you and I being able to love one another. If we don't love one another, then the world at large goes... Well, forget them or forget that kind of way. And they started doing it as we looked at last week. Tertullian, around 215, said, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say. Look how they love one another. And we mentioned last week in the first centuries how radical the Christian community was in the unity and the loving and the caring for one another, even the destitute and the dying, those who were dying of plagues, that Christianity began sweeping across the known world because Christians were putting into practice that which Jesus told them to do. It had a powerful witness and a powerful means of drawing people to himself. 
We said last week, being a follower of the way is not a path to travel, but a pattern to follow. A person for whom to live. Those that followed the way modeled their lives after Jesus Christ and believed that the way he lived is the absolute best way to live. And referring to the church as the way indicates the people of God were called to action. Not just, oh yeah, I love you. They were a model of interacting with the world, injecting the culture with the life and the love of Jesus Christ. The one who proclaims he is the way, the truth, and the life. The people of the way. It was interesting, I... uh, Came across uh, a, a note in a Facebook of a friend um, connected with us as a body even. And uh, he lives in L.A. area, I think, somewhere around there. And he was really excited and, uh, and pumped up about a new series that they were starting at their church. And the, and the post went something like this. Very excited for our new sermon series, Fearless. Find me where the wild things are. Mentions the pastor will be preaching fire this weekend. Love this guy and love this church. Now, I like that. I would want to go to a place that, you know, you don't want somebody up here going, hi, how is it? You don't want some Eeyore. Is everything okay? I'm so sorry you had a bad week. No, I want somebody that's alive in Christ preaching. So I'm not knocking what he's saying there, but it struck me. It struck me, why is it that we gauge church a lot by how good the Sunday morning is? Now, I want good Sunday morning. I want solid worship. I want us engaged. I want us focusing on God's word. It's Catholic. Nothing wrong with that. But why don't we ever find a post, and maybe you can post it this week, all right? A post that says, very excited for our new season of life groups this fall. We are going to be on fire as a community each week. Loving people, loving God's church, and loving our neighbors. Do you want to post that? Anybody? <laughs> See, we don't think in terms of what we do during the week necessarily. Sometimes it's the church, but it is the church. And are we excited as a body about people of the way, encouraging others to follow the way, the truth, and the life? Are we loving one another? Are we unified in what we do? Yeah, brokenness and all. We have to forgive one another and we all make mistakes. I know that. But is our focus on success defined by how many people we can put in a room on Sunday morning? Or is it defined by how we represent Jesus as a community of people, small groups and all, to the world? There's been a shift. There's a shift from the dream that Jesus has because the dream that Jesus had, they didn't say anything about largeness of the number. You ever, you have to understand this. I'm a pastor, right? So you're always dealing with numbers, nickels and noses, they say, that kind of thing, right? And I'm like, I don't ever find Jesus. I find, I find in the book of Acts, they counted numbers, like 3,000 were added their number that day, right? And so, so the numbers, there's nothing wrong with numbers because every number represents somebody that's lives God loved, created is important. But I don't find Jesus sitting around with his disciples going, man, I gotta figure this out. How do I get, how do I get the next thousand people reached over the hill down in Bethlehem where I was born? Right? He's focused on a group of twelve people and getting them to function as one. Using their gifts, loving one another, serving his purposes. Jesus did not come to the world 
Jesus came to a group of people, Jewish people. He picked them, not because they're more special than anybody else, but you just can't come and show up and be everywhere at once if you're going to put yourself inside a human body, right? And God decided to do that. So he picked a people. And out of that people, he called people to himself. And when he called those people to himself, whether it was the 12 or the next tier people, he called them to love him and to love one another. His focus, his programming initiative, his strategy was all about creating a people of the way who would carry the dream that he had, which was that we would be one and love and care for one another. Because he knew that's how the whole world would be reached. If that group of people who were followers of him would be unified and they would love one another. John 15, another part of that whole ending part, he says, Just as the fathers loved me, so also I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. If, if you abide in my love, you will be able to love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves or servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but all things I have made known to you from the Father. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And so the dreams and the aspirations that you and I should be carrying are dreams and aspirations, I believe, from the very bosom of Jesus. And his heart aches that the world would love one another and it's only going to love one another by the church loving one another. That's the dream. But we have to put that into action. Last week we listed some of the, there's 55 one another's in Scripture. These are just a few of the 55 and we went through. Now, I want you to look through that list the greet one another, accept one another, encourage one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, honor one another, teach one another, be devoted to one another, submit to one another. I want you to think through that list and come up with a testimony in your life. When was it that you experienced in the body of Christ or with some friends that are fellow believers seeking to follow Jesus, you experienced some of those things in your life. Maybe it was a season in your life that was challenging. Maybe it was a season in your life that, uh, you, you know, you just don't even want to remember. Maybe it was something that just happened this week. Maybe it's something that happens every week. But it's the body, the community of Christ, the loving one another that's been able to support you and carry you through. And you would say, yeah, I remember when someone came and served me, and they didn't need to serve me. I remember when someone just sent me an encouraging note. Maybe it was a text message. Thinking of you today, praying for you today. Maybe they um, 
were cheering you on because of something pretty cool that happened. And so that's sort of maybe a greeting. They're just greeting you with a word of celebration. How about someone bears your burden? you got a burden. Nobody knows about the burden. And you chose to share that burden with somebody. You stepped out of your comfort zone. You shared it. And it wasn't rejected. It wasn't just brushed off. That person, that person began to carry the load for you. And you knew someone cared. Maybe you opened up and shared something in a group experience. And, and every week you show up at that group. They say, hey, been praying for you this week. How's it going with that such and such situation? Maybe there's somebody that stepped into your life and began to teach you some of the baseline things about what Scripture really calls us to as believers. Maybe there was someone that, you know, they didn't need to, but they submitted themselves to you in your direction even though they sort of knew your idea was not going to work out. But because you're part of a team, they said, all right, let's give this team thing a shot and and let's run with it. So you go through that. You got your testimonies there? Any testimonies that come percolate up? Maybe if you're struggling with some of the, the, the aspects of the testimonies is because you're trying to do some of those things Scripture said, not with the people of the way, but by yourself in isolation because you're fearful, you're scared, you don't want to get hurt again, or it's hard for you to really, I, I can't share, I'll just break down and cry, as one person recently told me when I was interacting with them. I said, oh, give me, give me a shot. Just give me a shot. You're trying to do life not with the one another's, but rugged individualism. You're an American. The cowboys may be gone, but that attitude still hangs. I want to introduce you this morning to somebody that um, I met many years ago. And it was through a group experience because they had started to attending the church that I was a part of at the time. And I am blessed to have her with our family this week. She has uh, become a very dear friend of our families over uh, the course of many years, especially because she took care of our one son that we left back in Indiana when we moved here three years ago, and he needed to finish out high school. So we left him with his, what we refer to sometimes as his second mama. And um, we've journeyed through a lot of those things there together. And I'm going to invite Jenny Hoover to come up. She's visiting from Indiana. Would you welcome our friend, Jenny Hoover? Come have it. You want to have a seat? You want to stand? <laughs> she actually got in uh, last night, and I'd been away this week some, so we haven't really chatted. I know. I turned know. around in the seat, and I said, I thought about this leading up to today. I didn't know if you'd be game for it, but you're game. I like that, Jenny. I'm game. I said, how about an impromptu little interview? Uh, Jenny, tell us, uh, let's go back to when we first met, but uh, that first group experience we had and some of your thoughts caring from the relationship that was built from there as it relates to being the one another's. Wow, that was a long time ago. Am I good here? Keep. That was a long time ago. Um, it was amazing. We're not there. Green light's on. Am I, I good? There we go. 
Jenny. It's okay. I can do I that. love this. Here we go. How about this mic? Can you get that one? This one again. All right. Hello. Um, so it was quite a number of years ago that um, we became, my husband and I became part of a, at that time, I think we, I think it was like a cell group. We call them cell groups, I think yeah. it was a cell group. Um, that was before terrorism struck. Can't call no. them cell groups anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was it was really um, a pivotal point for us because you know when you come to a church, it's so easy to just sit in a chair and do the Sunday morning and then take off. Um, it's another thing to be in a group with um, people that love the Lord. And are willing to just accept you for who you are and what you bring um, and all the questions that you have and, and the struggles that you have. And so you had a few questions. I had a <laughs> And Larry. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot. Um, but it was such a safe place to be able to bring those tough questions um, and get answers and and I wouldn't be who I am today without having been in um, that cell group. The relationships that I made, you know, with you guys and um, the Teetses and the Martins. and so our, you still remember them all. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, Larry and I were just talking about the Teetses the other day. We're talking about 20 years ago. Yeah, 20-some years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we may not see them now, but... There's, you know, I still remember them, and they're still a part of our lives, and we still have conversations about them. And um, I just, you know, we wouldn't be who we who we are without that. And I think that that's so <clears throat> important to get outside of the Sunday morning and get into doing life together. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And and we had our kids; they're a part of that group experience as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my earliest memories of Kyle was him bringing his violin and leading <laughs> worship in life group from a violin. I he totally had his little stand and doing all those kinds of things. But then, you know, just so many uh, ups and downs through life mm-hmm. that I know that we've been able to try to be there for one another. My wife in particular is very good friends with Jenny. And so they sort of mother each other's kids a little bit. <laughs> and uh, that's all sort of worked out pretty yeah. good kind of deal. But it's getting yourself immersed in community. Mm-hmm. And Jenny is a great example of somebody that's jumped in that she's done a lot with student ministry before and helping and serve and those kinds of things. And, and when we moved here, she cleaned our house. She, <laughs> she did these other cra- – I'm like, why are you doing these things? But it goes back to some of the love serve one another. One another. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I hope we serve you and have have a good time here these few days you're with us. Oh, absolutely! Right. I've had a blast. Yeah. yeah, this is awesome. I'm so glad it's been a long time since I've seen Carrie preach, yeah. and that was a gift to me. And just to you know meet you guys and and just see what's going on out here in California. But she did say something that had more gray hair now than when she left. I did. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny, so You're much. <laughs> friends for a lifetime. Some of the deepest friendships are those who you have a unified spirit with 
who love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they're willing to love others as themselves. How about you? What's your dream? What's your dream when it comes to being in this world, walking through this world? Is your dream about having great community? Great, not just friends, but people who are sojourners with you in your life. I am so grateful that throughout pretty much my whole Christian experience, I have been blessed to not be a solo operator, but to be able to have rich community. I remember it happened, it began with, well, there were early family years, but it began with a really solid youth ministry experience. And I knew that God was getting me, getting my heart prepared for something because what I experienced in those young formative years, I said, I have to have this. It's my lifeline. And even when that relationship world has been blown apart and busted apart for different reasons, I may draw back, lick my wounds for a while, say, I'm not going to offer myself up again. I'm going to live a little bit more privately. But the moment I do that, I know that I'm headed south. God has called us to be rich in the one another's. He's called us to be unified as a people. What is your dream? What is your dream? Sociologists will tell you that there's four spaces for belonging. We have a hard time belonging because of not just sort of the drift of the attitude of our world that we're in, but because of urbanization, we're around more people, but we really don't have some connections like we used to have um, because of other things. Of Even technology sometimes can help or hinder being in community. But that sense of belonging, I identify with that. We mentioned it last week. Some of you cheering for a particular football team this fall, right? There's identity that's gathered around a cause or a team or something. And you feel if you're in that setting, like, oh, I, I belong here. And then there's other settings where you're like, I don't know that I belong here. Like some of you may honestly just be feeling that this morning. You're maybe new or, or haven't really got connected here. And you're like, is this a safe place? Do I belong here? See, it's something we're wired Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, we're created in His image. You and I have this sense of this need to belong. And there's four spaces that they say that we operate in with belonging. The first is a public space. And if you looked at this biblically, biblically a public space would be like the masses, the feeding of the 5,000. You know? Can you picture being there on that hill when Jesus you know, preached and fed the 5,000? You're like, wow, we're a part of some big activity. It's like people that are packed into a stadium here this afternoon. They're a part of a public space, something big that's happening. And there's adrenaline that comes with that. And, and it's all right. It's pretty cool. Public spaces. Large churches are great for that, too. I like public spaces. But even as you get a little bit smaller churches, this is still a public space. Then there's the social space. The social space has to do, and I I won't belabor it because you guys have heard me say this enough, it has to do with sort of your oikos, your household, is the Greek word uh, oikos in Scripture. And that has to do with this group of 20 to 40 people that you sort of mix and mingle with. If you look back on some great parties you've been a part of, it's probably been there were 20 to 40 people there and you had something 
very much in common. You had some history, shared life experiences. Maybe you're involved together doing certain things, and you enjoyed that group of 20 to 40 people. It was an overwhelming mass public space, but it was a social space. And you and I need that social space. We had a nice, um, uh, call it the kickoff, uh, um, potluck last Sunday night. And there was a great group of people here around. We had 11 tables up, and there were kids here too. I'm thinking, you know, that's more of a social space. You go around, talk to one another, hang one another. And you have a sense of identity in that kind of space. Then there's the personal space. And the personal space for Jesus was probably the 12, right? So that was his small group. You think 12 to 15, 12 to 20. And that group he spent the majority of his time with. Like I said, Jesus didn't come to the world. He came for the world. But he couldn't come to the whole world. So he picked a people. And then in the people, he picked a group. And in the group of people, he picked a select number, 12. And so you and I have a need to belong in a personal space. So identify that with your group experience. Or if you're not in a group, consider that group. Or maybe you're part of some other kind of group in life, right? And you say, well, that's sort of the group I hang with. Maybe you, you know, do a recreation together. Maybe you uh, go out and, and do a movie nights together or something, right? And then there was the intimate space. And the intimate space for Jesus, he had three inside of his group of 12. Remember their names? Peter, James, and John. Can you see Peter, James, and John just sort of hanging together a little bit, and Jesus takes off with them? Maybe everybody else is a little bit like, hey. But there's that need for intimate space, and ultimately the intimate space of belonging is in your marriage, if God would so bless. You know, I find it interesting. This is a public space for me, but then there's also times where I'm like, I can't relate to everybody in a public space, so let me get it down to more of a social space, and then I can hang a little bit. But then my life groups or a rooted group that I'm going to be leading this week, I'm really excited about that journey we're taking off with, and and that's going to become a a personal space for me uh, over the coming weeks to be able to connect. But then there's that intimate space. You know, it's funny. I'm going to pick on my guys over here. They're going to be a little bit embarrassed about me. But in our life group, you know, it's sort of grown with some collections of people. And uh, we uh, had a chance to baptize a few of them in our life group a few weeks ago. And one of them took off with his family and moved to Oklahoma. But he's back today because the Marines have not released him yet from uh, his duty issues. And he's seeking to do that. But I turn around this morning and I look back here and we have Chris Abner, and you're looking more like a man because you bought a John Deere and you're, you're mowing there in Oklahoma. That was my recommendation. And next to him is Mike Hooper, and next to him is Toby Mayer. And when I saw you three guys together sitting in the same row, I'm thinking to myself, that's not just our small group. Those three guys sort of hang and interact some there together, and I, I hope you have some place to stay. Right, Chris? Yeah, probably at the Hoopers while he's back. But he has that space, the intimate space, a fewer group of people. If you had to identify your life, do you have those four spaces of belonging, and is it functioning well? Because if it's not, I want to strongly encourage you to jump in and take initiative. It's not easy. We have a large sector of you. Um, I was going to do the percentage. I have time to do it. I've signed up for group this fall. But this is a journey. It's not just a program because Jesus dreams about each of us loving one another and being one as he and the Father are one. And he wants us to be engaged. 
with people. Not with projects only, though those are good. Not with just worldly agendas, though the world has a lot of them we need to attend to. He wants us engaged with one another. If you were to look in Scripture, you have the passage in Acts 22, 42 through 47, where they gathered together in fellowship. They broke bread. They were filled with all many wonders and miraculous signs. All believers who were together had everything in common. They sold their possessions. They gave to one another as a need. They met. They continued to meet together. Temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all. And what? Behold, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know why? Because great Jesus-centered community is contagious. My, how they love one another. In our groups, in our personal social space, because sometimes groups get larger than 12 to 20 counting kids, and that's all right, so it sort of hangs in between. I want you to be able to write on a napkin the three things that you're supposed to be doing this fall in your group life experience. Commune, relate, and engage. And hopefully you'll hit a sweet spot in the middle of that. The first is the commune. It's communing with God. That you would commune together and get to know Jesus more. A Christ-centered, deeper life. Connecting with Christ. That you would be able to relate Relate to one another with the one another's. A grace-giving communal life. You're connecting with his church, the body of Christ. And then engage. Engage the culture at hand. Engage the world that's in need that you as a group would be about advancing the kingdom with a missional type of life. Connect with his purposes. And so that sweet spot, you can evaluate your group life every week. Because some groups are stronger in one of those than the other, and that's all fine in one sense. But we desire that we would have group experience, belonging experience, one another kind of experience that it would exemplify, commune, relate, and engage. Because we are called to be a people of the way. Now, you've heard it pitched quite a bit the last few weeks, so I'll be done. After this week, we're going to move on to a new series next week. But when I evaluate where we are as a church, what God's calling us to, I said, no, we've got to camp here to make sure that we're all on the same page. Because the cheerleading to be in a group is not just for the sake of closing the back door, as sometimes they say, to get people to stick in the church. It is the church. And it's not for the sake of, hey, here's another program. This is what God called us to. I want the Facebook post that said, I am so excited about our group life. It's so fired up because we're loving God, loving one another, and we're loving a world. Let me tell you what happened. That it becomes a part of our culture. And if you're not in a group, I really encourage you to be a part of a group. We'll sort of low-key this thing moving forward at some level. But we're here at the pinnacle of the fall where I can do the rally call. And uh, there's cards at the table in the back where you can sign up um, for those groups if you haven't already and just make sure that you um, um, leave them there on the table and we'll get you connected but on the engaged thing I just want to bring you up to speed and then um, we're going to close with a great hymn of the faith actually this morning but last Sunday evening at our potluck 
we broke up around tables and we talked about engaging in the ministry more. And uh, we've outlined seven teams for us to rally around as a church. Some of you are all involved in some of these areas. But I'm just going to walk through these teams because I'm going to encourage you. One of the ways that you can get the one another's is, is by serving together. This particular team we call the WOW team. Creators, ushers, parking lot people, welcome desks, bulletins, all that kind of thing. We just name it the WOW team. Well, when you're in group life experience, there's different levels you go to. You can have a discussion in a group and you get to know each other. You can go have some fun and play together that you get to know each other a little bit more. You can serve together, though, and it starts to move it into some deeper relationship. And then ultimately, they say one of the critical things for bonding a community together, you don't want to hear this word, but suffer. When you suffer together, you have an identity together. Whether that's on the battlefield of a military conflict or on the battlefield of your work experience. So you move yourself into deeper life experiences by choosing to do certain things. So to just be a spectator, sit on the outside, is totally cool at this church. It is. But to move into deeper relationship, take the initiative to be a part of a group life experience and take the initiative to be engaged in what God's doing through his local body. And so one team is the WOW team. I'm going to list the seven because I'm going to encourage you to engage in one of these seven teams. The shock and awe team. You want to light up the stage with some strobe lights? Then have at it. You can talk to Joe and the team, right? Or we want to be able to get things online. That was one of the things that came up. That I always hesitate to put the messages online. Then I think everybody will stay home. It's like, oh, I can just catch Carrie online. No, be here. But for some time, shut ends are your way. But that whole technical lighting, design, video decor world, we're calling the shock and awe team. You want to be a part of that? You can be a part of that. The worship team. I don't know if Joe did it intentionally today, but there was this empty microphone here. Did you see that? Some of you have beautiful voices. Some of you have been engaged in worship teams maybe before. Some of you could get trained and walk into worship team. We don't have a choir, but we do have a team, right? Musicians, other things that are part of the worship team. The reach team. The reach team has to do with local missions, regional missions, global missions, community outreach, events, the evangelistic heart. How would he do that? Now, we want to do that predominantly through our life groups, right? Because our life groups need to be engaged. They need to have missional dynamic to them. But the reality is we, you know, sort of have to give inspiration sometimes for those things to happen. And the reach team. The contact team includes people that are part of the prayer intercessor team, people that follow up. We have newcomers connection, trying to pull those things off and fellowship. Uh, Amalia down here, Amalia, how often do you do coffee out there for everybody? Every week, don't you? Thank you, Amalia. But Amalia could use a few more team people to do something, just that kind of simple thing. Then the next-gen team has to do with children's ministry as well, students and young adults. We threw that all together. And then the last team is the group life team, uh, men's, women's ministries, life groups. All seven of those, we 
did a SWAT on last Sunday night. Our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Some of you know what that's about. So we did a SWAT last week on each of those. I got some good input, some ideas we're going to be reflecting on. We also had people start to sign up for one of those seven teams. I want to encourage you, serve one another. Serve Christ by serving others, serving his church. Little teepees back there. You can sign up for any one of those groups. I close with this, and I think Joe's around, or Katie is. Where is she? And uh, we're going to close with him. But I want to say this. I was in a conversation this week with my brother and um, my sister-in-law concerning their son, who was uh, in a dating relationship. And it's a good relationship, but seemingly in this relationship, uh, the parents who are of... uh, the gal he's dating is uh, our great parents and solid believers of Christ, I'm sure. But there was some ongoing tension concerning certain points of theology. And if my nephew was on board with those points of theology related to what they believed. And so we were having this discussion and I thought to myself, what would Jesus say if he was at the table with all of us centered around trying to get every point of our theology just right? There's baseline theology. Jesus is God. Scriptures are infallible. Jesus, through his death on the cross, provides the atonement, forgiveness of our sins. Jesus rose from the grave, the resurrected life. Jesus coming back again. Those are what some people call first-tier theology. That's really important. But then there are some other kinds of tiers of theology. Second tier is like, well, you know, can somebody lose their salvation and truly walk away from the faith? Or, you know, does Jesus Christ, is everybody able to be saved? And and these kinds of things are debated. I, I was there. I was there when I was my nephew's age. And those kinds of things, you know, you're sort of like, I don't know truth. But I tell you what, we have these finite minds. We know in part we're limited in these human vessels. I know scriptures, it's taught, but sometimes there are certain points of theology that I don't need to be divisive upon. I have a particular opinion about the spiritual gifts, that they're available for all people, but other people don't believe that all spiritual gifts still operate today. And that's fine. I'm not going to be dividing one brother or sister over that. There's other points of theology that are called like, you know, third-tier theology, which is like, how often should you serve communion? Should women be able to speak, to treat uh, in a church? What's your mode of baptism? You sprinkle or you dunk them? Us Christians get all caught up in all kinds of divisiveness. As I was having this discussion with my brother and sister-in-law this week with um, the opportunity to hand, I just thought, what would Jesus say if he was in this discussion? I think Jesus would take us back to his prayer. And he would say, I just desire, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. To major on the majors, be charitable on the minors. And let's live and do life together, limited as we are as human beings. Jesus wants us to love one another. Let's be diligent about his heart and his dream for us this fall. The ushers will come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well.